Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Achtung, achtung, attenzione, attenzione. Double bubble from the Axis men, this main men this morning, uh, 80 years ago. Welcome, by the way, to We Have Ways of Waking You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Of course, 80 years ago this week, both Mussolini and Hitler gave speeches to their people with updates on the war effort. Il Duce admitted that Italy had experienced some grey days, <laughs> but, re- <laughs> but reassured Italians the final result will be an Axis victory. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean... That, that's that's funny, isn't it? Not an Italian victory. He's going, eh, maybe not us that wins it. Yeah, on our own. <laughs> not on our own. Hitler was more businesslike and menacing. 21 years after the founding of the Nazi party, he promised that the U-boat offensive would be accelerated in the spring. Well, and on that cheery note, like I said, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. How are you, James? Yeah, no, I'm all right, thank you. How was your weekend? I saw a very interesting uh, conversation about jesters on WhatsApp last night. I thought, Literally, I sat down for my tea... You know, it's got up again. It was sort of twenty-five messages about about fools and jesters, and yeah, I'm being roped into uh, your brother's uh, hit podcast. Um, uh, uh, the rest is history, and I've got to, they want me the to talk about comedy hit history podcast. And I, and I, I know a little bit about the history of yes, yeah, smash hit history podcast. I know a little bit about jesters, and he'll like it because it's all to do with Christian theology. So he'll be able to plug his bloody book. Again. Oh my god, he's um, relentless, isn't he? He's worse, much worse than you or I on plugging books. He's a machine. Worse than me. Yeah, and he's shameless, absolutely shameless. <laughs> Anyway, but but it sounds anyway, like from, from listening to some of them, um, it sounds like Dominic Sandbrook has got the measure of him. With relentless well, the, I listened to the, the Halle Rubenhold one about sex, which was in the eighteenth and eighteenth and nineteenth century, which was fascinating. Mm, well, I've got that little treat ahead of me. So, they, they did a they did yeah. a brilliant one on Pompeii with Sophie Hay, who actually we should get on because I was um, I was talking to her about doing a doc actually about um, the mm. bombing of Pompeii in the war. Which actually is a really, really interesting uh, um, episode because the curator of Pompeii at the time was a fascist, but actually he saved Pompeii. So he was a good fascist. 
and um and it's wow, a, steady <laughs> ish uh, um so anyway but he's, he was a good if you a good fascist if you like your classics and you you like your ancient yeah. rome roman buildings and towns um but he i mean a fascist being ex, a specialist in ruins is quite something isn't it i mean that's where it always it's where it always ends well, up they're all like the new stuff don't they well you're absolutely yeah. right it does all end in ruins it all ends in tears but not at pompeii it would seem so anyway so anyway she, she'd be good on that but also they did a brilliant one on the yeah. 17th century but anyway we digress we're not here to talk yeah. about the 17th yeah, yeah. century and yeah so yeah so i'm going to be on that on that shortly anyway um by the way thanks everyone at uh, the weekend uh, we ran a twitter world cup of war films that culminated the weekend and it got out of hand on saturday <laughs> that was during good fun, though, final voting it? <laughs> it was great fun um uh, there was a brief moment where i felt the need to shout stop the steal as james piled pressure on voters by appearing on twitter in flying goggles exhorting them to support the battle of britain of course uh, at the end, the vote was mighty close, and the cursed numbers, the Brexit ratio, <laughs> yeah. but and, and also fifty-two percent in favour of Britain, forty-eight percent in favour of Europe. I felt a little. I suddenly felt a little literally, bit embarrassed, if I'm honest. Literally, <laughs> the cursed numbers. Those numbers are going to follow us all to our graves. Every absolutely. Absolutely everything from now on is going to pan out on those numbers. Anyway, but, but I should um, say that my two favourite war films weren't, weren't even didn't even make the yeah. close to make the cut. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a fair bit. There was a fair. It was quite interesting. You get these on Twitter. You get these people when when you see those polls run who come to the basically the final, the last one. Go, how has it ended up on these two? And you think, well, look at the look at the look at the heats. Yeah. You know, uh, if you if, know. You'd, if you'd stepped in earlier, if you'd started then maybe earlier the whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe we would be arguing about Das Boot, but but, but you a lot weren't of people there, voted, didn't they? Jesus, they did. Yeah, it's very sweet um, to see seeing um, engagement like that. To see a part of the conversation. Very nice. <laughs> um, right um, now, um, one quick bit of business though. We are planning, and of course, uh, we're recording this today on Monday, as you know, on the twenty second. As rumours of whatever the next phase of the next phase of the latest phase of the next phase of our lockdown exit or not are to be. So September, we're bank, we're gambling on seven months from now as a possible option. But we are planning God, to have a We Have Ways festival. I know, I know, seven months away. It's got uh, it's to be okay can, by then, surely. It's the best we can offer. Um, uh, a We Have Ways <laughs> festival in, in September. Friday the 17th, Sunday the 19th, which um, some of you have noted is, of course, um, uh, the weekend of the Arnhem commemorations. But you might not be able to leave the country. So it may be that um, uh, your best bet will be that we have Ways Fest. We haven't. I don't know if we have. We got a name for it yet? I quite like Warstock. What are we going to? Warstonbury. What are we going to call it? <laughs> well, I think it'll have an official name. Then it'll have a, a an in-house yeah, name. Yeah, an, an in-house. <laughs> I think it's probably Absolutely. We Have Ways Fest. Um, yeah, yeah. A Warstful. No, that doesn't work, does it? It doesn't really work. We'll probably have a, and there'll be a bar, an operational bar, a tactical bar, a strategic bar. And a bureaucratic bar. I mean, we're, bar. we're, we're <laughs> yeah, we don't know, yeah, a bureaucratic bar, absolutely. We don't know where this will be held quite yet. Last week, we we had some loose lips that nearly sunk a ship. Um, we don't quite know where it'll be held yet, but we are we're knitting in. it all together. We're homing in. You're homing in on it. We're, we're trying to sort it all out. More info as soon as we do. But please keep the dates in your diary. Now, um, I I've think been, it's also fair um, to say that even though it is on the um, 17th, 18th, or 19th of September, I suspect there will be a fair nod to Market Garden at the, uh, possible. At the We Have Ways Fest. <laughs> I think possibly. I think possibly. And we're lining up all your favourite speakers and characters and people who've um, made this uh, whole thing 
uh, and tanks, of course, that, that made this whole thing um, so much fun the last uh, year or so as we approach a whole year of, of uh, lockdown. I think I'm going to cut my hair off when the actual anniversary of the first lockdown comes around. I think I'm going to go back back to back, back to, to year zero. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for this festival, though. I really can't. I think it's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Well, and meeting a lot of the um, regular listeners yeah. and characters who've, who've uh, tickled us along, and the and the, the fellow Bagpus. afflicted, the pa- patrons, Jimmy Bagpuss, Andy Aitchison, Andy yeah, all those people, yeah, all the, all absolutely, the gang. yeah. Now, last week, um, was it last week or the week before? We talked about, we had a question, didn't we, about what's a battalion, what's a division, oh, and all yes, that. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I am at the moment um, reading another audio book, getting a, getting ahead. We're, we're laying down, we're laying down some. Uh, uh, long-term audiobooks and at, at the moment on the Patreon there's the Molly Pantadowns I think people are enjoying the, the um, uh, which her memoirs of war memoirs of her experiences of being a civilian in London during the Second World War anyway but we talked about divisions and all that and I'm reading the Mackie Steinhoff uh, straight to Messina which is uh, his account of being a Luftwaffe fighter pilot ME109 fighter pilot in 1943 and it's a it's a fantastic book um I'm. I'm finding you. You're best off reading it. I'm best off reading it at sort of breakneck speed because the whole thing is like this great long wired, um, uh, living on these jangling nerve mm. nervous edges, living right on the edge of of uh, how he can endure and all that. But but you do start sweating to, reading it, don't you? Yeah, you do. It's so but hot. he goes before he gets to North Africa because um, he's on he's in the, on the Russian front for two years then he's assigned a job in North Africa and before he goes to North Africa he goes to a he goes to a staff meeting um uh, to, to you know look at the strategic overview of the Mediterranean campaign and I came across this nugget that reminds me of what we're talking we were talking about it's like it's like he's on topic this thing of what a division is, a battalion, the thing we ended up talking about, which is this. I had long, and he says, I'd long since come to mistrust the value of the information provided by the flags and numerals on a map table. What was a battalion exactly, or a fighter squadron? No one inquired into the real combat value of these entities. A squadron was something of capable of shooting down 10 of the enemy during a one-hour operation. Therefore, it had damn well got to do it. No one inquired into the actual condition of the infantry battalion whose command post was shown as a, on the map as a small triangular flag. How could anyone tell that it was not a forlorn band, a captain and a hundred men, exasperated, desperate, half out of their minds, perhaps, and with 50% of their number more or less severely wounded? Could anyone really tell? Mm. And you think, that's that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? And, and certainly, that's the, the, the Germans, or Hitler in particular, is looking at maps... And going, oh, you know, where, I mean, you see it in Down, Downfall, that famous parodied scene in Downfall, where Voe Steiner, because he thinks there's an army. And in fact, it's a bloke's, the army consists of the bloke's headquarters, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it, that, that I think, is the thing we ended up talking about, didn't we? That, that you can still look, and, and Churchill as well, as you said that time, he's guilty of this too. You see a thing on the map, you see the number, you see the name, you think, well, it's a tank division, so it's going to have this many squadrons and this many tanks. And in fact, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, absolutely. It's it's a sort of what's on paper and what's on, and well, this is half the thing about about the Blitzkrieg back in 1940. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah. and it's a part of the thing about the Battle of Britain. You know, what RAF have got a very clear picture of what the Luftwaffe have got on paper. Yeah, but, but actually, what they've got available to fly any you know at, at eight a.m. every morning is is quite different. It's quite interesting. Well, and the I same mean, same goes for, same goes for the Luftwaffe. The Luftwaffe have got a clear idea of what the Luftwaffe are capable of on paper. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's not just yeah. the RAF. It's uh, Goering as a you know he's a oh great we've got a you know 
last thing I know, we had twelve hundred ME one and nines or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. he's not he's not inquiring into their actual condition, and no one dares tell him either. I suppose. No, yeah, no, no. What exactly? That's the problem. I mean, obviously, I can't do a podcast without mentioning the show with Rangers. And um, at the moment, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm doing the Battle of Giel, which is a kind of sort of forgotten episode, but it was a absolutely brutal fight for you know they lost 11 tanks there but but it's interesting because this is at the end of the great swan you know this is the end of the chase and so suddenly last minute they're you know they've had a a day off where they're frantically kind of repairing all their tanks and everything having done this kind of sort of 300 mile trek up through through france and and belgium and suddenly they're ordered into into the firing line and they just don't have enough because the, the the one advantage of fighting so close to the coast, of course, in Normandy, is that their lines of supply are so short, and suddenly they've really lengthened. And so, you know, one of the guys, one of the troops is going, you know, C Squadron, which is leading the charge into Giel, has only yeah. got two complete, hasn't even got two complete troops. It's got two troops of three rather than troops of four. By, by this stage, they've moved over right. from three to four. Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. only got kind of two, two, you know, two lots of those. Um it's got one reserve, which has just got two tanks, and then it's got kind of squadron headquarters, and that's it. So basically, it's got basically 12, 11, 12 tanks compared to the kind of normal 19, 20 that they should have. Right. And, so and, and the lead guy is going in with two fireflies, and, and you right. know, because he just hasn't got any more. Hasn't, hasn't got the gear. Yeah, and in his Sherman with his normal 75, the troop leader's got an ordinary Sherman. He's only got four crew, yeah. not five. They just just don't have enough. Yeah. She hasn't got a lap yeah. gunner. And, you know, and it's just Gosh. interesting, you know, you sort of think, okay, yeah, you know, the, the, after the, such a huge, huge run does have its impact. And again, it's one of those things yeah. that on paper, you know, and he says, I never saw more than 30 of the infantry. I, I reckon 30 at tops. So what's clearly happened is that the 6th DLI, the Durham's again, um, in the yeah. front line, you know, they've put forward two platoons and they can probably, you know, it's probably actually more like 40 or 50 men rather than 30 that he can see. Yeah. But but you know it's severely understrength company attack, yeah, yeah like fifty yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, well, it's the wear and tear, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's the but but on paper, yeah. I was fast. It's fascinating. It's fascinating all that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and that's fifty it, division, and, and fifty division is a, is a, a couple of months away from being disbanded. Yeah, 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 yeah. For this precise reason, yeah, it's just basically withered away, isn't it? Yeah. Under the the days wasted. of plenty, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, oh, oh, fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, now we have uh, before we get started, though we have, although we've sort of got started, though as ever we've skidaddled all over. Richard Park, who joined August the, um, 2019, says, "Hi, chaps! Just a quick message to say thank you for the great podcast. As a lifelong military history buff, and with many family that were in the Second World War, notably a granddad that was in the Royal Navy in the Atlantic, Pacific, and Russian convoys. I also had a great great uncle who was in North Africa." hospitalised by a universal Bren, uh, Bren gun carrier capsizing, but returning to the front to take part in Operation Market Garden. I fondly remember as a boy being asked why his favourite aircraft, the Typhoon, wasn't in my Airfix Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, currently, I'm currently on the front line of the NHS and your discussions are a great tonic and distraction on my days off when I'm doing my socially distanced long walks, so I'm physically and mentally fit for action during these challenging times. Keep up the good work, Richard. Well... Richard, you keep up the good work. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're, 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 it's all right for us. We're sat in our comfy offices uh, waffling and you're doing something far more um, uh, on point. But, uh, so thank you. Thanks for getting in touch. Um, now we have some questions. Um, and we'll do this one first because uh, actually, funnily enough, Richard just touched on this subject. Richard Park just touched on this. So Richard Trainer has a um, 
has a question for us. Um, on Christmas Day, 1943, the last major capital ship conflict came to a dramatic close in the Arctic Ocean with the sinking of the Scharnhorst. What was the effect on German morale and how did it materially affect the Arctic convoys to the USSR? Well, I mean, the effect on German morale is sort of irrelevant, really, because they're in a totalitarian militaristic state and morale has been shot for about <laughs> two years already. So I don't really think it made any difference, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, but it tells the Kriegsmarine that there's nothing they can do. No, but they've known that it, already. It, it, they know that already. I yeah, mean, but but but, but 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 it mean that's why the Tirpitz is from now on hold up, unable to do anything. Yeah, and then and then the Tirpitz spends the rest of its sorry life being chased around by giant air fleets and yes. bombers and six one seven squadron and and really has shifting a, from know, one fjord to another. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I mean the 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 the, the dominance um in that theater that the 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 british have isn't it it's really interesting isn't it it's 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 they're complete obviously and again it gets off to that like the battle of the atlantic there those the convoys that don't go well that the the disastrous and then the and then the navy get a grip on it and the air force get a grip on it and 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 the Kriegsmarine is basically choked out of any involvement. I imagine being a if you're a capital ship guy in the german navy it's that your morale's Rock bottom. I mean, yeah, but but most of those I mean, big capital ships have been that, that you know. There's two reasons why they're they're skulking in fjords um, and elsewhere and, and and in bases. The first the first one is of course because they're going to get sunk if they venture out because they just don't have enough strength. But the second thing is because they can't afford to put them out there because they haven't got enough fuel. Yeah, you know. So yeah. you, you know that they're, they're a kind of early part of the kind of wham bam. Blitzkrieg war, that's where they're supposed to play yeah. the run. And once it goes into a long, drawn-out war, they have no role, really. And, and you know, PQ-17, which is a notorious one, that you know, the um, Arctic convoy that gets really, really hammered. Yeah. Um, most of the destruction is done by aircraft. It's done by the Luftwaffe rather than by by any Kriegsmarine yeah. ship. So it's the fear of the of, of the Tirpitz coming out, isn't it, that's the, that's the issue, um, yeah. rather than it actually emerging. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of that, you know, but by that point, you know, by by the end of 1943, obviously, loads of stuff is still going to going to the USSR. But but you know, the the, the crisis point has obviously changed because this is this is yeah. six months after or five months after Kursk. It's you know, Germans aren't yeah. going forward anymore on the Eastern Front. It's kind of it, it's all over. So, I mean, I think it's really important to understand that 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 most Germans didn't want to go to war in 1939. They were very happy when they thought it was all over in by July. 1940 they were then horrified to discover that it wasn't all over um and and morale took a massive dip dip thereon um and and yeah yeah, it's great that you can sort of you know have devokenschau um newsreels sort of showing how successful they're being um from time to time but basically morale in germany was absolutely rubbish i mean it was terrible uh there's whole there's whole accounts of um gestapo uh um Basically, we had we had mass observation in in the UK, sort of yeah. doing polls on stuff and what what people's morale. But it was all completely above board. Um, the Gestapo was doing polls on and and keeping tabs on morale, but doing it clandestinely, obviously on the sly, uh, largely yeah. through vast armies of Stasi-like informers, um, and and by listening in on conversations and stuff. And there's whole books on this. I mean, you know, I've got some yeah, yeah, yeah. down here. And, 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 you know, I can't remember what it's called now. But, but you know, morale was absolutely terrible. So, you know, yeah, the Sharnhorse being, being sunk is kind of like, okay, that's just another 
bit of shit news then, you know. But compared to Stalingrad, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, who cares? I mean, I think people have sort of I mean, become to it by then. Yeah, that they are. I mean, the, the German government is well is well up on this. The fact that the, um, uh, morale is completely rock bottom, and and you know, uh, Hamburg, Ham, the destruction of Hamburg is is a big plays majorly into this, doesn't mm. it? That 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 you know, a, ma- a major city is destroyed essentially, and there's not there ain't nothing they could do about it. And the and the the regime, the regime, are, you know, they're worried about morale, but then but then but but then of course. What whether that morale will mutate into insurrection is a diff, is a is a different question, isn't it? Yeah. And they're never particularly they're never particularly worried about that, are they? No, they they they, they don't get their knickers in a twist about um well and you know where that might lead because after all because you you then get Goebbels saying well we all know we all know what we've done together as part of as part of this war effort, don't we? Yes, that's um, the famous uh, infamous uh, sport palace speech. Of, yeah, I think it's about around the twentieth twenty third of of February. Um, 1943. Yeah. So that's following the the, the, the following disaster Stalingrad, of Stalingrad. But, and I think yeah. the thing about Stalingrad is, you, you know, you can argue that kind of Tunisgrad has sort of similar kind of numbers that are captured on the day and all the rest of it. But but I think I think Stalingrad is so awful because it's all it's 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 the moment where the German nation realizes they are completely screwed. Yeah. Uh, the, the psychological impact. I think the two big, big psychological impacts on on Nazi Germany are one Stalingrad and two Hamburg, and I think it's those two yeah. events above all that yeah. really make people think, "Holy moly, we're up the creek." Well, yes, because and we've talked about this before because they know what they're doing in Russia, um, uh, and if you look, you know, Russia's the Russia's the front you absolutely have to win on, isn't it? Um, if you're the Nazi state, yep. you did that. You, you know, because you're going to reap what you're going to reap what you've sown, which is what basically what Goebbels then says is he says, well, we all know what we we all know what that front's been like and we can't afford to lose on that front. Whereas, you know, as you say, Tunisgrad is it, it, it's it, a long way away. It's a long way. It's a long way away. It's not. And it's not the it's not the Rassenkrieg. It's not the no. fight to the death with a, no. with Bolshevism. With, with with Jewish Bolshevism and all the all the it's not got the it's not got the hard Nazism in it as as part of a war effort uh, 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 as part of the German war effort has it so it's got it's got it's got a different it, a different texture if you you know if you're doing it if we're doing it from the strategic operational point of view it is completely disastrous for the Germans and the Mediterranean is a totally disastrous front because they're expending all that Luftwaffe effort there who are flying around like the fire brigade from theatre to theatre where you know when things start going wrong one place they're sent there and then they all get shot down and then they you know mm. uh, 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 I mean it's yeah uh, yeah I don't know yes the Shanos like you say it's just another it's just another shit thing yeah. to happen oh well <sighs> yeah you know I'd rather <laughs> give it up like on that losing. I, I expect most people <laughs> were slightly surprised it was still afloat anyway by that stage I mean <laughs> Uh, and then Hamburg, I think, is is just so awful because it's this realization that that you know Hamburg is the second city of of Germany, and I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's the largest city in terms of population um, mm. in 1943, and if it isn't, it's right up there. Um, yeah, and you know it is completely destroyed. I mean, it's it's apocalyptic. It's 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 Armageddon, and and you know they suddenly yeah. it's this terrible realization that this is what they've got to come. You know, it's only going to get worse. Well, Talking, it's also yeah. suppo- It's also supposedly one of Germany's liberal cities, isn't it? Although, well, you know, although the the, the 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 guy in charge is particularly particularly 
He's a proper Nazi by then. But, you know, it's one of the outward-looking trading cities of Germany. Old it's supposedly in touch, and all the rest of it. Exactly, in touch with the rest of the world and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and and so that it's it's a double blow. I mean, there is the thing that Berliners, supposedly in air raid shelters, would say, why aren't they bombing... Why aren't they bombing Munich? We didn't vote for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but talking of bombing, it is, of course, the 77th anniversary of Big Week this week. Yes. Yes, it is, isn't it? I, 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 An underrated oh, battle, that was, I think. Well, you mentioned, well, we mentioned that when you, you mentioned that when we were talk, well, earlier on, we were talking about what we, might, what we might discuss today. And the thing that strikes me about that is, is obviously, it's keyed into making sure that you have an air super Air supremacy, really, rather than rather than even superiority, yeah. air supremacy by D-Day. Yeah. So it's about it's about clearing the decks. But it's February. The weather's diabolical this time mm. of year, especially over Germany. Did did they did with big week? Was there prevarication about when to do it, or was it a question of having having the te- technology ready, or was it a question of? Um, uh, you know, do the, was it the a thing we've talked about before where the Allies, if they could do it nine months from now, they'd absolutely nail it, it first to go? Or if they're doing it now because they've got to do it now because time's run, they want to get things done. Yeah, where, so, does that, where does it sit? So th- th- this sits within the bigger uh, Operation Point Blank remit. And Point yeah. Blank is agreed at the beginning of June 1943. And it is first yeah. laid out by um, Ira Aker on, uh, at the Casablanca Conference in January 1943. Yeah. Uh, and point blank is is the is to prioritise the degradation of the air force of the Luftwaffe. Yeah. Because first of all, if you do that, then you're clearing the skies over Europe, which means you you have much more flexibility about what you want to do with the second front, i.e. Normandy. Yeah. Um, and the second thing about that is the less Luftwaffe, the easier it is to bomb, which means your bombing is then more effective. So if you prioritise destroying the Luftwaffe first, then you can get on yeah. with everything else you want to do. Uh, yeah. And actually, this is incredibly sensible and you know it's it's hard not to agree with it the difference of course is is that um you know what bomber command says is yeah but you know we can't really destroy the the um luftwaffe by night and you know that's what we're doing yeah and the americans go yeah, yeah. you can you can just destroy factories and stuff you know that that, that will destroy the luftwaffe so anyway it yeah. sort of rages and, and and harris pays lip service to it and doesn't go along with it but only kind of sort of begrudgingly but it is absolutely the key policy behind what what the mighty eighth is doing and what strategic growing strategic air forces are doing in italy as well and suddenly though in the autumn it, it's not going quite as well as the americans would have uh, had hoped and there is this mounting panic that shite you know we're in a situation that we're planning d-day for may 1944 which is what they're doing yeah. in 1943 and without having air supremacy over a whole swathe of northwest europe we are in big stuck because yeah. that is our biggest fear, is being hammered yeah. by the Luftwaffe as we're trying to land on D-Day. And yeah. that well, is just, and, and, and it is just uh, a kind of total non-negotiable prerequisite that we have control yeah. of the skies over Northwest Europe. Because after all, control of the skies in, in 1940 is the thing that's emblematic with uh, tactical success on the ground, isn't it? Totally. Uh, and it's absolutely non-negotiable. And... The timetable is starting to look a bit icky, you know, because there is no sign at all in the latter half of 1940, you know, in the summer, late summer, early autumn of 1943, that this is happening. So everyone's thinking, well, what are we going to do? And the big problem is that the Flying Fortress is not quite the fortress that everyone had assumed it would be, and that daylight bombing yeah. without being escorted by, by fighters is a problem. The problem they've got yeah. is that fighters, because they're smaller, have smaller fuel tanks, which means they don't go so far, which means they can't escort, escort bombers deep into the yeah. Reich. 
but quite sensibly, the, where the where the Reich has put most of its Luftwaffe factories are deep, not close to <laughs> close to the west. Yeah. So it's fine. You can get to Bremen, and you can get to Wilhelmshaven, and you can get to various, you know, uh, um, uh, places in, in in the Ruhr um, without escorted, and that's not big drama. But the moment you want to go to Schweinfurt or Regensburg yeah. or Posen or Rostock yeah. or Brunswick or yeah. any of these other places, which is where mo- and Leipzig, which is where most of the uh, and Augsburg, which is where most of the Luftwaffe um, aircraft factories are, you're in for real really big hammering. And there's a, there's a couple of times they go to Schweinfurt, where they and, and also to Regensburg where the daylight bombers just get absolutely hammered. We were talking about morale just yeah. a moment ago, and that is starting to have a massive impact on the effectiveness of the Mighty Eighth, and indeed Bomber Command yeah. as well. You know, they just you just can't do this. Um, you, you're getting yeah. hammered. And so the race is on to try and find this long-range fighter that can take them all the way deep into, deep into, into Germany. And that is suddenly becomes the number one top priority the US Army Air Force. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's a new aircraft, whether it's an adapted aircraft, whatever it is, sort it out. And that, in, those instructions are given out in the summer of 1943 uh, with this sort of growing concern because I think the, you know, because of the first Schweinfurt raid. That well, that is, raid, that raid is a, a, a complete catastrophe, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's really other, no other like way 20, of looking 20%, at percent 20% of them are shot yeah. down. Yeah, Schweinfurt, Regensburg raids. Are, 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 um, you know, that they're, they're they're so, in a way they kind of they, 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 I mean they remind me of, of Bomber Command's efforts in 1940 where they where they press home attacks anyway in daylight and and get an absolute kicking and Bomber Command conclude from that well this we're not going to do this anymore yeah. we're going to fly by night now this this ain't worth it so it's interesting that the Americans rather than rather than saying all right then we'll switch to night flying which must have been the advice they were getting Yep. From from uh, from Harris and from other other players, well, switch to night bombing, and you, you you won't run into any of these any of anything like this problem. But that the, the, they're sticking with daylights for interesting because it also ties into it also because the story of the Americans, you know, the the the, 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 the British and the American approach to strategic bombing, uh, in effect, end up the same thing, but are very different in their approach, aren't they? Because I mean, if we talk about Hamburg a moment ago, the the Americans are part of the Hamburg raids. But they're doing it by daylight and they bomb the ports. And so the RAF are going to Hamburg every night and set, literally setting fire to the centre of the city. And the Americans send their send their planes to bomb the, the port, to bomb the harbour, the port facilities and miss. And because the Americans are precision bombing, so they miss, they miss their targets. The British are like, oh, well, you know, we're not particularly interested in being precise. We're interested yeah, in hammer, you know, colossal cracks. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like it's that idea. Yeah. That hammer blows, massive morale or, or effects-based operations, which is which is the modern name for it, where you strike a blow um, to show the enemy who's boss, as much as as much as anything else is what Hamburg's about. Yeah. Um, but the Americans, have, the Americans have got themselves, and you know, with the Norden bomb site, which we've talked about, have got themselves into this idea that they can bomb accurately. Of course, they can't, and the weather means they can't. So what? So what? Big week turns into effectively isn't you send the bombers up. They're not bait as such, are they? But once you've got well, the fighter cover, cover worked okay, out, so, 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 or are they? Are they bait? Is it really that actually, that the you know the the, the the carts before the horse here? That that the idea of big week is to to act like you're bombing Germany, but but draw the Luftwaffe into a into a into a decisive battle. Is yeah, that what's going on? Is it exactly? It's, it's is both. It, 
Right. It's it's absolutely both. So so the opera, uh, operation argument, which is is what Big Week becomes, is first mooted in November, and they said, right, you know, we'll we'll do this, and we'll we'll have this concentration, we'll have this mass concentration, um, uh, even though they don't have the long range fighter in November, and they say, you know, yeah. we will do this just as soon as 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 a weather gap, and, and so urgent is it that we'll just do it. You know, and even if we take the losses, yeah. we're just going to have to take that on the chin because we've got to do this all our effort to, to, to try and draw them. And the point yeah. is, is that what they know is that the moment they go and bomb Luftwaffe factories, swarms of Luftwaffe fighter planes come to defend it. So you're, you're killing two birds with one stone. You're hitting yeah. the factories, but you're yeah. also destroying the, the Luftwaffe in the air. So th- that that's the twin point of it. And it's just there isn't a weather window um, to enact a sustained week of heavy bombing until the yeah. third week of February 1944. Yeah. Um, yeah. But coincidentally, by that time, they do have two fighter groups of, of, of Mustangs. And it's the Mustang, which is first developed in 1940, which is um, commissioned by the British, by the RAF, which goes into RAF service, but which is transformed with putting in a Merlin 61 engine. Yeah, uh, And the reason this is done is because Ron Harker, who is the chief test pilot for Rolls-Royce, recognises that you know, he's always liked the Mustang a lot, and he recognises that, that at similar power levels, so this is yeah. horsepower, the, um, um, the, the Merlin 61, um, sorry, the Mustang can, can go faster than the Spitfire Part 5 by 35 miles an hour. So therefore, he yeah. reckons it's quite a good punt to put a Merlin 61 into into the Mustang and whip out the old Allison engine, which is a bit of a dog. Yeah, and it completely transforms it. So instead of being getting, because what was happening with the Allison engine was the Mustang was getting slower the higher it went, so it then ended up being yeah. a ground attack aircraft. Whereas yeah. when you put the Merlin sixty one in, it gets faster the higher you go. So it starts off at yeah. being, you know, it can fly at kind of three hundred seventy five miles an hour at five thousand feet, but it can do four hundred at ten thousand feet, and at yeah. twenty thousand feet it can do four hundred thirty miles an hour. But at 35,000 feet, it can do 455 miles an hour. And above 28,000 feet, it can fly 70 miles an hour faster than the fastest German aircraft they have at the time, which is a Messerschmitt 109G and the, and the Fokker Wolf 190. So when you consider that height and speed are two huge advantages, the higher you yeah. go up, and also it can flip, it yeah. can roll faster than anything else. So it is yeah. a, it is a truly amazing aircraft. And once you put in drop tanks, which are these these made out of sort of you know like MDF, um, MDF, yeah, yeah, you make these drop tanks with seventy five gallons on each wing and a further seventy five gallon tank um, tank in the, in the fuselage. Once you put those in, it can then travel kind of one thousand four hundred seventy five miles, which gets you beyond Berlin and back again. And and that is a total total game changer. And, and that is tell you what. Yeah, go on. We're going to take a break, and you can tell us about the game changer after the break. There you go. It's a cliffhanger for you, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there you go. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. I asked James to hold a thought there, so it's a game changer. Um, I've I've a question, though. Why why are there not Spitfires with drop tanks on escorting... uh, 
doing this yeah, job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's such a good question, and it's and it's and it's a source of enormous frustration. And it probably won't surprise you that a lot a lot of this is down to my, my old friend Lee Mallory, <laughs> the man who ah. I think is the most undeserving air chief marshal of all. Um, he, Does he not buy it? Well, so so we have had drop tanks on on Spitfires because otherwise, how did yeah. they get to Malta? For example, taking yeah. off from Eagle yeah. and Wasp and all the rest of it. Yeah, you know, so it's perfectly capable of it. Uh, and you know, again, you know, a Spitfire when it's flying, a, you know, that's why you have PR Spitfires that can fly to Berlin and yeah. take photographs of them. So they're perfectly capable of yeah. doing it. The point is, is because they are operating at Bomber Command is predominantly operating at night. There is simply no requirement for a daylight fighter. And and the Americans don't go to the go to the British and go, please can we have some Spitfires which you convert to long range? They just don't do it. You know, because when this when this conversation so the conversation in the summer of nineteen forty forty three is yeah. basically in July nineteen forty three. So so the, the Schweinfurt raid hasn't happened at this point. But but right. Hap Arnold, who is the uh, um commander in chief of the United States Army Air Force, says to Barney Giles, who is his number two, says, We have to get a long range fighter. I don't care how yeah. you get it. I don't care whether you, you know what it is, whether it's a, an existing plane or whatever, uh, um, or a completely brand new model, just sort it out, and I need it in six months' time. You know, But by the end of the year, I need to have long-range fighters that can go all the way deep into the Reich. So at the time, Barney Giles yeah. is sort of going, you know, obviously going to going to the RAF and saying, could we have all those Spitfires that we turn into long-range fighters, is an option. It absolutely yeah. is an option. But there's another option which is sitting under his nose, which is the Mustang, which is already because yeah. the previous October is when Ron Harker has put suggested putting a Merlin 61. So in October 19, uh, 1942, they've worked out that with a Merlin 61 in it, the Mustang is just totally transformed. So, yeah, so yeah. rather than go to a, a British aircraft, they go, well, hang on a minute, let's just before we you know let for exhaust let's exhaust our options here let's have a look at whether the mustang can carry this kind of load so they go off to the good folk at north america and start doing all these tests with extra fuel tanks so first of all you know because mustang's quite a small plane incredibly high yeah. wind loading and all the rest of it and the worry is that it just won't have the strength to kind of take that much extra fuel so the first yeah. thing they do is they put a 75 gallon tank in the in the fuselage and they go okay well let's take off and see what happens it takes off absolutely and the fine oh uh, that works fine does no, it absolutely all right. fine no okay. problem at all and, and so then they kind of think okay well let, let's let's couple of you know either either wing let's put a couple of drop tanks and they sort of go up in increments and, and they discover that actually they can have an extra 150 gallons under the under the wings uh, in addition to the 75 so suddenly you've got 225 extra gallons that you didn't have beforehand plus the merlin 61 yeah. which is now being yeah. built under license as a as a packard by pack by packard yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and suddenly it's doing it so it's not that the spitfires don't do it it's just that there is no requirement from the raf really to mass produce long-range spitfires and and, and see, the performance that, of the Mustang is superior to that of a of a of a. You see that of a that's Spitfire. really interesting, isn't it? Because the RAF uh, in 1941, that the fighter command, you know, for want of something to do, gets into this idea of rhubarbing over um, northern France, get going out, attracting the Luftwaffe's attention, shooting fighters down, and trying to trying to do sort of general attriting on the Luftwaffe. They, but th th there's not there's not a movement to do that. Uh, uh, to go into to, to maraud in German airspace with drop tanks on and go and cause trouble, is there? No, none not, at all. Then, none at all. The see, whole, but, but the whole rebarbing thing is just a terrible, terrible idea. And it's a, well, it's a terrible. Well, I know, I know, I know. Strategy. I, I know, I know. But 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 it's interesting that, that that there isn't a thought to do that to take that to Germany. I suppose it's been disproved. It's been proved to be a complete waste of men and machines and and basically a, yeah. basically no, they a daft they thing sent, to do. Most of those Spitfires should have been sent straight to straight to where the action is, which is the Middle East. Yeah, and it. And any and anyway, by 1943-44, 44, 
I mean, in the run up to D-Day, you've got you've got Spitfires in ground attack roles dealing with um, uh, uh, prospective V V weapon sites and all that sort of stuff too, haven't you? Yep. Yeah. So they're, and, they're, they're and being shooting up stuff on the that's ground. That's what and... that's what the RAF are doing is shooting up stuff on the ground or the fight fighter bit at least. I, I, it's because because I remember because I you do look at it, you think well you've surely there are hundreds of thousands of Spitfires kicking around that you could stick tanks yeah. on and this problem would have been solved earlier. But I suppose it's also that thing of the, the US the USAF they want to do it themselves, don't they as well? They want they want they want to run this show themselves. Yeah, so not- that's one of the reasons why they don't go into the nighttime attacks. So first of all, they they just feel that their, you know, their their strategy of targeting so the whole point blank strategy which is to target as a number one priority the Luftwaffe really probably does need in 1943, certainly, does require yeah. daylight operations because, you, you you know, nighttime operations aren't accurate enough for the Americans in 1943. Yeah. That all changes yeah, yeah. in 1944 when actually there's no real difference in accuracy between daylight and, and, and nighttime bombing, such are the advancements of, yeah. of um, navigation aids and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. But there is a second reason, which is that the US Army Air Force wants to become the US Air Force. And it wants yeah. independence and it wants the same thing. And it doesn't want to be kind of sort of, you know, piggybacking yeah. on yeah. the RAF bomber command. And also there is this other advantage that means you can then bomb round the clock. You can, yeah. there's just no let up, uh, which obviously is yeah. more effective than everyone sort of, you know, filling up the airspace of, uh, just in the hours of darkness. Uh, and of yeah. course, all this has been decided in summer when the hours of darkness are quite short um, and the days are long and all the rest of it. So you can, there's a whole host of reasons which come into it. But it then, but but as a result of that, the consequence of not having the daylight, the long range fighters, by not having that, by that that sense of growing panic and urgency to absolutely smash the Luftwaffe as, as quickly as they possibly can, means that although it's winter, although the weather's appalling, although there's lots of cloud cover, um, and although daylight hours are short, just the moment there is an opportunity, they've got to take the ultimate risk and just yeah, yeah. go for it. And th- and that's why Big Week finally happens on on the third week of February. And you know it is it is an enormous battle. If you if you basically accept that Big Week is an air battle all of A its battle. own, yeah, yeah. then yeah. the numbers are just absolutely staggering. Well, how do they compare to the Battle of Britain then? Oh, just <laughs> Vic- Vickers Tea Party stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, in one week, 3,300 bombers from the 98th, 500 from the 15th Air Force, and 2,750 from Bomber Command. That's just the bombers. Bloody hell. Yeah. You know, so, so I mean, let, let's give it give one example, for example. Um, let's see. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, on the final day of big week, which is Friday the 25th, 900 8th Air Force bombers hit Regensburg and Augsburg, supported by 595 RAF bombers and around 700 fighter planes. And the Luftwaffe simply can't leave that unanswered, can they? That's the point, isn't it? They don't, they get absolutely slaughtered. I mean, mean, the figures of losses in the Luftwaffe actually in the last four months of 1943, so this is for big week is just staggering and shows just yeah. how much they're being degraded. So the problem is the problem with the Luftwaffe is that they've they've still got the numbers but they haven't got the quality. Uh, so they haven't yeah. got quality aircraft. They ha- certainly haven't got quality pilots anymore. Pilots, so they yeah. lose from between August and December 1943 on the Western Front. They lose 967 pilots shot down and 1,052 lost without any help from the Allies whatsoever. And actually, what's really interesting is that kind of 55% accidents and pilot error 
to 45% shot down continues in big week and 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 into and that and, and that and, tells and, you and into into 1944 and th- and that that's a barometer for the how inexperienced yeah. these pilots are how poorly trained they are and you know completely so, so january 1944 1766 planes and are lost in february that's 2605 in March, it's 2,612. In April 1944, it's 3,619. Of which, yeah. of that, roughly 55% are training and accident losses and 45% are down to enemy action. So the biggest the biggest culprit in shooting down, air, uh, in, in losing the losses of aircraft are the Luftwaffe themselves because they're but, but, inadequately, inadequately trained yeah. and they're flying incredibly complex and difficult aircraft for which they're just simply not qualified to do and they're just and, and the pre- and the pressure they're under they haven't got time to train people quickly enough the the, the accidents will also be pilots who've been up yeah. two or three times a day you know and and, and this is the example of because we've talked about in the battle of britain the home advantage of the fi- of fighter command that 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 because they're under such pressure that force multiplier isn't coming to bear right. for the for um uh for the luftwaffe this also plugs into the question of was the strategic bombing campaign uh effective yes know? and 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 well well because because the what we end up with is is the you know um it, i think it was phillips post their bros is well what 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 total military production is going into tanks whatever in, in 1944 and it's what is it seven yeah. percent what is it 45% of the german industrial Effort is going into fight yeah. def- in going into fighter defence. Yeah. Now, if your enemy is spending almost half of his industrial um, effort on the strategic bomber offensive, the strategic bomber offensive is extremely effective. Yeah. If, it, uh, if those uh, that were... is literally full stop, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. It's yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's unar- unarguable. If the figure, if the numbers were the other way round, you'd have reason to go. Well, I don't know if the strategic bombing campaign's working, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd be able to say. The Germans clearly aren't bothered by it, but those numbers tell you that the Germans are incredibly, bo- are incredibly bo- bothered by it, existentially. If half their efforts going into it, and after all, I, I can't remember what is it is it half the British efforts going into building Lancasters as well. So it, it you know, the seriousness with which the two things are taken by the two economies show you. I, I cannot remember that number, but it's a vast yeah. number that's go of British industrial effort that's going into building Lancasters, for instance. But I, yeah, I mean, there's the full stop there is the 45% on fighters, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely amazing cool. because, I mean, if you're, if you're a fighter pilot and you are joining, you know, it, and, it's, and it's, let's say you join your frontline unit in January 1944, if you're in the RAF and the USAAF and you're a fighter pilot, you're getting about 350 hours before you join. The moment you get there, and particularly the American squadrons, the American squadrons are so oversubscribed to the number. So they would have 16 aircraft in, in the air, four, four flights of yeah. four, finger fours, um, up, in the, uh, up in the air for any one operation, of which they've probably got about 40, 45 pilots. So when you first arrive as a greenhorn, you've got 350 hours. So you know your way around a, around a plane, no yeah. problem at all. What you don't know, what you yeah. don't have is combat experience, which is everything. Yeah. So... To start off with, you're not going to be sent off on a mission. You'll have a week, ten days, two weeks, beetling around. You've got yeah, God knows how much fuel. Yes. You've got God knows how many aircraft. None of these things are a shortage. So you then get taken up by some of the old hands. You know, you're given kind of you know the old bit of training with a with a with a veteran. 
shown some of the ropes, and then you go on a milk run, you know, a little one over to France or whatever, just get yeah. a little fade of it, and you, and you build up to the big one. You build up to Berlin or whatever it might be. Uh, and so by the time you're actually going into combat, you are really honed. Whereas a German fighter pilot by January 1944 has barely got 100 hours in his logbook and is flung straight into it and just gets shot down. I mean, it's like First yeah. World War stuff. And, and they, they've got no chance because how can you possibly compete when you bet you're still kind of thinking about, you know, where, where, where am I going? What am I doing? What, what do I do about boost? You know, uh, yeah. you're still thinking about how to fly. It means you haven't got any time to think about how to be a combat flyer. And the two things are kind of different. Uh, and the whole thing is just completely throws you because suddenly when you're in in combat zone, you're you're doing things with an aircraft that you never thought were possible when you're training. Yeah, uh, and and quite a lot of the time, these guys are not even shot down. They're just they're in the middle of a dogfight and they've done something that they can't get out of because suddenly the plane's gone out of control because they pushed it too hard and then down they go. You know, so yeah. it's it's it is totally lambs to the slaughter. I mean, having said that, though, Big Week was very costly for, for, for the Allies as well. I mean, Yeah, US so what lost, are the Allied losses? Well, you know, they, yeah, they yeah. lose 266 bombers, which is 2,600 air crew. Um, RAF Bomber Command yeah. loses 157 bombers, which, because they've only got seven in them and not ten, is 1,000 air crew. But, but, but it's, you know, these, these are so really, what? really significant losses and, rep, you know, a representative of the fact that this is a massive all-out effort. So what are the relative what are the relative rates of attrition then what the the, the Luftwaffe what's their uh, rate of attrition in this in big week Well they 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 lose 2600 aircraft in in of of how many well, about 4000 you know but they but right, they so they they you know they're losing 50% Yeah and the allies are losing what 10% Yeah and th- uh, and I mean, you can't. The thing is, you can't afford to lose ten percent very long. Well, they're not. They're losing. But... You know, the US in total, they're losing. You know, twenty two hundred sixty six bombers of any one time. That's twenty five percent. But but right. they haven't got much more than about a thousand bombers. Yeah. But but they're but they're re- replacing them very very quickly. Yeah, yeah. But they're replacing them yeah, with yeah. with properly trained crew. That's the difference. So yeah. so the Luftwaffe are not replacing them quite as much as they want. They're about 75% of production. And Big Week knocks them out, reduces production by about 35% for about six to eight weeks, something like that. Which, on the scheme of things, doesn't sound like an awful lot, but it's just that it's it's the attrition of aircrew that really, yeah. really counts more than anything else. And the bottom line is, is if you are, are smashing um, aircraft factories in Leipzig and Augsburg and Regensburg and all the rest of it and knocking out, you know, huge hangars and stuff, that is a massive pain in the arse for the Luftwaffe. Yeah, yeah. It does make their life... Yeah, you're also slowing, slowing all of that down as well. well completely. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, the yeah, bottom yeah. line is... Big Week works because by the middle of April 1945, we have got, the Allies have got air supremacy over much of Northwest Europe, which is absolutely the stated goal. And which then yeah. means they can do all the stuff that they need to do in preparation for D Day, i.e., blow up bridges over the Seine and hit marshalling yeah. yards at Ham and, you know, all those sort of things yeah. and Rouen and Reims and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Which you couldn't do yeah. if you didn't have control of the skies because yeah, you yeah. have to, you have, those bridges and things have to be be bombed at at much lower altitudes by medium bombers rather than heavy bombers and you can only do that when you've got control of the skies otherwise you're going to be pounced on and shot out of the sky etc yeah yeah well and it, and the germans in the end by using uh, v weapons demonstrate that conventional air power has run out of road for them yeah that yeah. they they have to resort they have to resort to you know extraordinary technology because because it's just not working and uh uh, uh 
Yeah, gosh. I mean, it's so. So you but, would you? I mean, but, would you but, but say as you knew for as you've discovered from reading Pierre Klosterman and, and um, the Big Show, yeah. you know the the it's last still, the last six months of of the war were brutal in the air. You know, yeah. and you've got Me Two Six Twos and comets and yeah. loads and loads of ground flak and you know, I mean, fifteen thousand anti aircraft guns in the Reich alone. Yes, it's blah, the blah, blah. it's the flak more. It's the flak more than anything else. When you when, when that, that features in Klosterman's books, far more than far more than uh enemy fighters it's, you you know that 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 flat you, you don't need to be as experienced to fire a flat gun do you as, no. as, as well trained as a pilot it's more effective isn't it i definitely want to do <sighs> i'm really i'm really really up for doing a book on the last six months of the war in the air i just think it'd be so good so do you would you so you think, would you, you say know, that Mustangs, oh absolutely so would you say would you say that big week is is one of the you know like if because it, it's no one's heard of it if, if aside from your excellent book if you wanted to plug it James um, <laughs> no uh, no no uh, I wouldn't dream of doing such a thing uh, no, it's so right, vulgar Tom, as um, plugging uh, a book uh, on a podcast a, a, a terrible thing to do um but but is it one of the is it one of the great battles of the you know because because after all we people people don't really know if people know anything about the strategic bombing campaign I mean outside of the the afflicted they they know about Dresden they may know about um. The dams raids. I don't know. They've heard of the dams raids. You know. You know what I mean. Like the headline bombing events. Yeah. Are probably Dresden dams raids. Maybe Hamburg. Yeah. Because after all, you can't talk about Dresden if you don't talk about Hamburg. The 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 the, 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 the you can't. The, no. The relevance of Dresden without knowing that Hamburg happened two years prior to that does, doesn't really add up. I think as an assessment of Dresden. Um. Why? Why? Why is big week? Not sort of because it's one of the it's one of the decisive battles of 1944 yeah. is what you're saying. Well, yeah, but I, th- I think I think when it comes to the air war, I think most people think that, that the RF bomber command just sort of arrived fully formed sometime early stages of the war yeah. with Lancasters, and then they were just bombing, yeah. and that yeah. happened, and it was just relentless. Yeah. And then the Americans turned up with their their flying fortresses, and that just happened too. Yeah. And I think what what people don't realise is is the kind of the ebbs and flows and the folds of it all, and how it all worked out, and the crises that hit both the Luftwaffe and the Allies, and uh, yeah. and and how it kind of pan forth and I, and actually the whole the, the narrative arc of of the strategic air campaign is absolutely fascinating big week is, is largely forgotten and i think it's because yet again it's sort of superseded by by um d day and what followed and all the rest of it but but i think it is really really significant i think it is really important it's the first big combined round the clock major air battle you know single offensive that takes place and in terms of kind of you know a single air battle if you consider it as a single air battle, which, which certainly the Allies did at the time, it is the biggest, I mean, in terms of yeah. numbers. And it, it's such an important marker because because by the end of February 1944, they are almost winning. You know, they've almost won. It has yeah. pretty much done what it needs to do. Uh, and, you know, six weeks later, it's all over for, for the Luftwaffe. Yeah. Uh, and the conditions in which D-Day and Operation Overlord can go ahead have been met. And, and you know, you, it doesn't get more important than that. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're looking at I D-Day, mean, you, know, you really do need to look at the air battle that precedes it. So I was kind I mean, of, you know, I don't want to plug my books, but 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 I'm going to. But 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 Big Week and Normandy 44 really go together much better in a way than Sicily 43 and Normandy 44. Well, well, I mean, the, as a pair of battles, so if it's Big Week and, and D-Day... Then it's the Battle of Britain and Sea Lion. Uh, they're the equivalent. Yeah. They're the equivalent 
equivalent operational battles, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah. I it, guess because they are. because because the Battle of Britain sets out to do what Big Week achieves, and look what it look at what it takes to make Big Week work. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, um, absolutely. It basically takes four four years of figuring out that's how you do it. I mean, it's the other thing. The other, I mean, as you say about the, the bomber offensive is when you look at the you know nineteen forty five and and the sort of free reign that the bomber the, the the Allied bombers have. That's been extremely hard won, yeah. and isn't it, it isn't a isn't a constant or isn't a thing that you can uh, you could you can at all say is oh like you say oh the bomber commander set up they got they got lancasters everything's fine that's been chipped away at and they have a very the second half of 43 after hamburg is terrible the battle for berlin is is essentially disastrous mm. and uh the bomber command unravels pretty much in yeah. in the second half of 43 well it's it's, and, it's, it's uh, largely because because the luftwaffe gets his act together very very quickly yeah, exactly. it completely changes exactly. its 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 control system its command and control system yeah. so you know but so so the the air defense system that britain comes up the downing system that's in place for the battle of britain by 1940 yeah. you know that's been really really fought through whereas the german air defence system because they just attack and they don't defend right you know that's what they do they haven't thought about an air defence system so it just doesn't exist so it it evolves much more organically but by the second half of 1943 it is really really good and it's got all the best bits of 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 the downing system but with with slightly more sophisticated tech um so it's it's first rate and their kind of night fighting operations work which so so this is one of the things that the, the bomber command gets more accurate in its bombing but at the same token it becomes more dangerous for them to operate at night because the air defence system yeah. around Germany is more is is more effective. I mean, yeah. you know, we we've done an awful I lot mean, in the a, last there's... twenty minutes of just talking about statistics and numbers and all the rest of it. But I yeah. think the other thing that's so amazing about 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 this period is, blimey, talk about human drama. I, I mean, yeah. you, you know, the individual stories, whether it's kind of Heinz Knocker, kind of you know keeping you know continually being shot down in his Messerschmitt, or whether it's some of these these bomber crews. I mean, goodness me. The kind of, you know, I, I remember. I remember when I was writing Big Week and and just sort of sweating and getting the shakes just from having to kind of write down what these guys were going through and what they're witnessing yeah. and what they're seeing and just how taut your nerves would be going on these missions. I mean, you know, it is, you know, skill and experience can help you, but ultimately, there's a hell of a lot of lottery involved in whether you're going to come back yeah. or not. And they all know that, and they know that the odds are against them, and they yet they keep getting into their their B-17s well, they keep the, getting into their Lancasters and keep going I mean it's just absolutely amazing there's the irony isn't there that as Bomber Command get better at getting to places the Germans are getting better at defending them so you you will find your way to Berlin and that of course where you have an increased chance of being shot down absolutely Whereas the the year it's before where you terrifying. might get the year before where you might get lost and they were no good at shooting you down yeah. it's probably a better set of circumstances ah uh, the ironies abound well i think yes. we've, we've i think we've, we've probably covered that <laughs> that's it for today we're back thursday with jonathan ware and then live streaming thursday and that's a great chat and then we're yes. live streaming thursday night at 8 30 p.m uk time keep your family stories coming too and don't forget there's a daily short video on the patreon site with james and i uh, chewing the cut over a photo from the Second World War. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Big Week by James. Uh, Big Week by James <laughs> Holland was out the year before last. See you soon. <laughs> Bye. <Cheerio. laughs>